Hello, everyone. My name is Wes Bush. I'm the author of the book on product-led growth. And today I have an exciting guest, uh, Momo, who is the founder of HeadsUp.ai. And one of the, the interesting things that caught my eye with Heads Up specifically is they're really focused on being like this customer data platform for PLG companies. And so having helped hundreds of product-led companies, one of the things that I always hear again and again is around like the tooling, like how do you do this stuff? How do you really get like a, a good picture of the customer and what they're doing across all the different facets of uh, just being a product-led customer? And so it's an interesting challenge to do, but we're not going to do like a full pitch or anything on Heads Up. But what we're really going to be talking about today is really just some of the research that Momo did ahead of time before he even got into this idea of HeadsUp.ai. So it's going to be really fascinating. You're going to hear and learn a lot about what some of the leading go-to-market experts around PLG are thinking and how they're thinking about identifying some of the big problems that you're going to face in building a product-led business. So Momo, would you mind just giving us a little bit of your background because like I'm really genuinely curious like how did you get started with heads up yeah absolutely Wes good to meet you thanks so much for having me on the show on the podcast I've been reading your your emails I, I love your content so it's definitely a pleasure to be on board on board today so to answer your question how we got started me and my co-founder early we used to work at this company called fiscal note so fiscal note is a b2b software as a service company focused on the government tech vertical. And there, my co-founder and I were responsible for setting up the modern cloud data stack for that company. And one of the big use cases for that cloud data stack was to help go-to-market teams be more efficient, understand their customers better, and make better decisions. So we had firsthand understanding of how go-to-market teams needed to understand first-party data, specifically product usage data. And we also had firsthand understanding on how the current tools, both on the data side, as well as on the application side, underserved these needs. Now, FiscalNote wasn't initially product-led. It was a top-down go-to-market motion. And eventually, towards the end, we explored more freemium-type motions. However, the problems were still endemic. So when my co-founder and I left, decided to start Heads Up, this was one of the problems we decided to validate. And it turned out that the problem was A, more pertinent, and B, more endemic than ever, especially with product-led requiring even more information from a first-party perspective for go-to-market teams to function really well. And so that's when we decided to double down on Heads Up based on A, our experience back at Fiscal Notes, as well as B, uh, our understanding of the current tailwinds and the why nows that, that made sense for this business. Definitely. And like, I know from my experience too, even like from the consulting world back when I did a lot of that, like there's a ton of data gaps in product-led companies, but I'm curious, like out of the, the 400 conversations you had with like go-to-market professionals on PLG specifically, what were some of the main kind of challenges that you saw people facing as far as it relates to the data? Got it. Yeah. So actually, before I answer that, uh, to your point, uh, when we decided to double down on this idea, or before we decided yeah. to double down on this idea, we talked to hundreds of professionals on the go-to-market side, primarily because A, we weren't go-to-market professionals ourselves, and B, it had been a while since we had implemented this at Fiscal Note. So we needed to understand how the market moved, right? And C, we, were, we needed to understand how go-to-market teams functioned in San Francisco, 
in Europe and also when they had different go-to-market motions. So yeah, we sampled hundreds of go-to-market leaders. And as a result of that, we have pretty strong points of views on what the opportunities are. Now, to answer your question directly, I would say that there are two big issues or two big learnings, high-level umbrella learnings that we got from our conversation. One was obviously with product-led growth exploding, both big businesses and small businesses are thinking about this go-to-market motion. There's an increased need for a collaboration across go to, within go-to-market teams and also between go-to-market teams and other cross-functional stakeholders. That's number one. And number two is, as we've touched on at the beginning, and as a lot of folks know, there's an increased need in product usage data. And we can double-click into one of these two buckets. So well, let's dive into increased collaboration, right? So I'd say there's two bullet points here. The first one is that within the go-to-market team, between sales, customer success, and marketing, the roles are now much more fluid in product-led growth. And so why specifically? For example, if you're an AE and you participate and your, your go-to-market motion is product-led growth, the act of closing a customer is very, very similar to the upsell motion a customer success rep or account manager would own, right? In a similar fashion, marketing is not just at the top of the funnel. There's increased need for marketing to, for example, resurrect churn customers or to upsell paid customers to enterprise plans, right? Or to even help customers onboard. That sort of scaled motion is extremely similar and could be basically called what marketing is at the top of the funnel traditionally. So as I mentioned, one, increased collaboration between go-to-market teams. And two, increased collaboration between the go-to-market teams and product engineering functions as well. So in a lot of companies that we spoke to, feature prioritization now can be very directly linked to, for example, dollars upsold should the feature be, be built or churn risk mitigated should the feature be built. Back in the days, for example, when in the typical top-down go-to-market motion, it was less quantifiable because there were simply fewer data points. But now, if you have, for example, a million users that pay $10 per month, one can now statistically sample what the different use cases this million customers have and figure out what the features are to build against the various use cases and the various personas. So now there's that opportunity. And I guess, like, why do you feel like right now, all of a sudden, there's this increased need for product usage data? Yeah, I'd say... It's always been known that product usage data is important for go-to-market teams. Even in top-down motions, right? that was obviously critical. No sales leader or CS leader will say, okay, it's fine to not understand whether the free trial prospect is using our product or whether, for example, our current client is using our product. right? But obviously, with product-led growth, the delta here is that it's much less important what the relationship the sales or CSM has with the company's decision maker is much more important whether the end users that are using the product in the client company are getting commensurate value. And because if they don't, then they can churn, right? That's almost a much more correlated, much more causal indicator of churn than relationships. So I'd say that's why in product-led growth and in sales motions with high velocity, product usage information is ever more important. The other reason it's important is because in PLG and in high velocity sales, the price points are low, which means the book of businesses are large, right? With that, you have this needle in the haystack problem where a single CSM now has to handle, say, three, 400 accounts to oversee their, say, $1 or $2 million quota. 
I mean, normally we've heard in market is between say 600,000 to one and a half million that each CSM oversees, right? That could be hundreds of accounts with PLG or even thousands. So it's no longer possible to have relationships with each and every person in every account. And that's where data is very important, right? As a CSM, you can take four or five calls a day. You can send X number of emails and you have to be very directed with that approach. Now, here's where software comes in. How can we demonstrate? How can we push? How can we nudge the CSM in a direction such that they apply the highest leverage to make sure that they drive the best revenue outcome? Right. That is the problem now. Got it. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely super interesting. I think to, to sum it up, even in my perspective too, like for that question, like, okay, why is there this increased need for product usage? You nailed definitely. Like there's, I think a two hands, there's like one is like you have just this massive amount of volume and maybe it's at a lower price point too. So you can't do that handholding. So it's like more volume and less handholding. And so the only way you can really effectively help them is by looking at some of those numbers and getting that usage data to understand, you know, who's at risk for churn. That might be an indicator, like they're just not logging in. They haven't logged in in the last month or something like that, which is really a telling sign. And then other things like, okay, what are the, the signups and how can we help these people uh, really get up to value? Who has achieved like a product qualified lead or something like that? So super interesting. And I'm curious about that number too. You mentioned like some CSMs typically have like around 300, 400 accounts under their belts as far as like really maximizing the revenue from those accounts. Is that pretty typical as far as like what you've seen for product-led companies? Or is that just kind of like one instance that you, you saw? I'd say that range is what we've garnered from our, our sampling, right? Yeah. One back, back of the envelope calculation is normally depending on company size and scale and how good the product is, the book of business that each CSM covers is between half a mil to one and a half mil, if not two mil, right? So divide yeah. that by an annual contract value of say five to 10K and you get in the couple hundred range. Okay. That's what we often see. So I'd say from that perspective, right? Yes, it's identifying the appropriate points and so that they can, uh, CSMs can apply the highest leverage. But mm. it's also, um, what can we automate? If we think about a frontier, which is um, how bespoke we can get and how automated we can get, can we mm. push that possibilities frontier out to the right, right? So that's where, once again, as I mentioned in the beginning, customer success becomes a little bit like marketing, where for a lot of interactions, there are scaled, smart interactions and the human interactions are, are introduced at the right point where the machine is not scalable, right? There's still so much opportunity to innovate there. Definitely. If, I mean, for example, most CSMs definitely don't use sequencing tools like Sales Loft or Outreach. And I would argue a lot of those sequencing tools, right? They don't sit on top of a lot of the data that helps you make intelligent decisions yet as well. So that's a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I know you mentioned in the beginning too, like out of this study, Increased collaboration is like a, a big focus for a lot of these GTM professionals. How would you say that from an org structure perspective, a lot of this has changed for the companies? Because I know like in our, our talks with companies that have gone from more sales-led to product-led, there's always like 
it looks like this iceberg at the beginning. You just see the top, you're like, oh, cool. Like this product-led thing is just like a free trial, free model. And then as people like dig deeper, they're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> they get in the weeds. They're like, oh, you have to like reorg, retool, and like so many other things along the way. And they're like, oh, like this doesn't take six weeks. This is like a multi-year thing. And it's actually, it's more than that because it never really ends. Like when do you stop being product-led as like, no, you just continue to get better and better at it. So I'm curious like to hear your thoughts since like that's a ton of like GTM professionals you talked with. What are some of the, the differences you see that they do within their org structure to really increase that collaboration if you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I'd say number one, there's much earlier single-threaded ownership up to a revenue leader. So traditionally, we see that in more traditional top-down motions, there's often a VP of success, a VP of sales, and a VP of marketing. And those folks roll up to C-suite, like a COO or a CEO, right? But now you see folks rolling up into a CRO much earlier in the organization or a VP of revenue. And the rationale there is that you have one specific individual who's responsible for revenue, then he or she can, can go back and forth between marketing, sales, and success. Increasingly so, also at the very early stages, at the seed or A stage, you have a VP of sales or a VP of revenue. That individual might be a, a marketer or a salesperson by trade, but they might they will always also be responsible for the other cross-functional stake, the other disciplines. So for example, the VP of sales will oversee success as well, right? And the VP of marketing might also own, for example, the SDRs. So that's a lot of that fudging that we see. And correspondingly, from a tool perspective, I'd say that's where the opportunity is. And that's the reason why we built Heads Up, right? But there's no tool that is able to bridge the gap, right? So to be able to be truly collaborative across these, to truly support these three different personas interacting so early in the tool. And that's, by the way, where the opportunity we see is. Yeah. Right. And I guess like as far as the different teams involved and getting more access to the product usage data, I know typically like the product team should <laughs> have mm. access to this. Not always the case. But then there's the marketing team as well as the success team and uh, even the sales team, like really using this data. How do you like really start that within an organization where let's say you have a product team, they have some sort of analytics, but they're wanting more people to think product-led and they whether it's the sales team and they want them to start closing like product-qualified leads, for the marketing team, they want to keep them accountable to really make sure that the new accounts they're, that are, they're bringing in are actually upgrading into paying users. How do you really instill that culture of like, okay, understand the data. We all look at that product usage data to make better decisions. Because I think, especially like for marketing and, and different teams like that too, it can be easy to be like, okay, we have a, like a hunch that this is going to have like a big impact. We don't have much to validate it on, but we hope. <laughs> we hope it'll work. And so how do you really roll out the product usage data across more teams than just the, the product team? Yeah, that's actually a, a really good question, right? And that's actually where we see the opportunity too. So here's what incumbent early stage companies have. The product team and engineering team are they're the early adopters of product usage data. So they might implement tools like Segment or Amplitude to consume that data within the product or engineering organizations, right? But the cuts of data, what is specifically logged and how it's displayed is not in a format 
that is easily actionable and digestible by the go-to-market teams. So there needs to be some level of interpretation to get the data in a format that is understandable very easily by the go-to-market teams. Specifically, what this means is that you know, the go-to-market teams are much less interested in looking at data in aggregate. Right? We're not optimizing an onboarding funnel. We care much more about a certain account and the users within the account and whether they're using the product, whether they're extracting value. So what happens is in current companies, either go-to-market teams don't have access to data or they have access to amplitude or they have access to what product use, uh, the product and engineering team uses, which is not the appropriate cut. Or, and this is the opportunity, that they somehow are able to move the data from amplitude, from segment to go-to-market teams tooling in the appropriate cut with the appropriate dimensions to make use of it effectively. And that is actually the solution we specifically solve at Heads Up. Okay, and I like to focus on like data interpretation. I wrote that down. And I think that's something that any team could benefit from is just like, okay, whenever you're bringing this data into some new team, like try and interpret it for them so it's actually actionable. I think that's the big thing. There's so much data available nowadays. It's just a matter of like, how do you actually action on it and how do you operationalize it and get the most value from that data? And so can you give us some examples? Like for someone who's thinking about this from a marketing perspective, from a sales perspective, from a success perspective, what are some of the ways that, like, let's say if you did have Amplitude or some other product analytics tool installed already, where you could just start actioning and interpreting that data for each and every team? Yeah. So I can talk a little bit about, from a technical perspective, what should be done. And I can talk a little bit about what specific metrics should be created for, for example, marketing, sales, as well as success. So what is optimal and what I think is a defensible long-term solution is to ETL amplitude or product usage data into a cloud data warehouse. And then within that cloud data warehouse, make the appropriate manipulations via, for example, DBT, via some sort of transform layer to create metrics that are actionable. Now, the issue is that a lot of small companies at the seed and ACs don't have data engineering nor data science resources to create those metrics. And even if they did, they don't necessarily have the know-how and you know, understand what the frameworks and what the appropriate ways are, are to be able to create these metrics that are effective for the go-to-market team. But the appropriate thing to do is to you know, load the data into the warehouse, create these metrics, and to sync these metrics downstream into tooling so that it is accessible right, in the workflows that go-to-market teams currently use and actionable in the appropriate format. So there's a class of tools called reverse ETL, which fan data out from the data warehouse downstream into these applications. And the reason that is quite hot right now is because of this specific use case. Now, where Heads Up comes in vis-a-vis -vis reverse ETL is we do an end-to-end -end solution. Uh, we help you create the metrics in the cloud data warehouse. We provide the sync and we help you operationalize that data downstream of the sync as well. So we offer an end-to-end -end solution for companies that don't necessarily want to, for example, involve data science and data engineering within the cloud data warehouse to create these metrics. And also downstream, don't want to create integrations or next best action and workflow steps to operationalize the metrics. But that would be what should be done in a scalable way to get the appropriate data and appropriate cuts to go-to-market teams. Now, to answer the second part of the question, as I mentioned, um, what specific metrics and what specific scores are marketers, success, and sales looking at? I'd say the product qualified lead is very important. It's essentially to understand what the quote unquote patient zero configuration or what the patient zero lookalike is for free users that have propensity to convert into pay. This allows the salesperson to focus on 
that subset of users as opposed to the millions of users that might be using the product for free, right? So that is one metric that is very actionable for the sales individual. And then for customer success, understanding whether the customer has onboarded is important. Understanding activation, right? So that have they successfully onboarded and used and configured the product in such a way that they're deriving appropriate value from the product. That's important because if they don't do that within a time period, that correlates very heavily to churn when resubscription comes. Also identifying um, upsell opportunities is very important as well, right? How can we be proactive towards identifying upsell ahead of resubscription? And finally, even if you're activated, there's always propensity to churn. Folks might drop off. Folks might, for example, there might be a change in, in a leader, right? And so how can we be proactive about these sorts of um, product usage drop-offs so that we can be we can mitigate that ahead of time? That's also an opportunity as well. Okay. And I guess as we wrap up too, one of the things that I was curious about is when do you typically hire your first like go-to-market individual on a team? Yeah. So a lot of product-led growth, that's a very good question. And I actually was on Clubhouse talking about this with um, Kaylin, who is a, a revenue leader who's successfully scaled go-to-market teams in product-led growth companies over and over again. Best ones like you know, the Dropboxes of the world, the retools of the world. Well, so I'd say without going to the specific stage, I would say that product-led growth companies often hire go-to-market individuals late because it's a double-edged sword, right? Product-led growth companies can grow very organically via their product. The leaders, their founders are often either product individuals or engineers. So they oftentimes believe that they can continue that growth for a long time before needing to, for example, move up market or before the growth slows. But what happens is that when they finally look, it's always the case when they look to hire, it's often too late. For example, the growth has slowed or churn has increased beyond um, a certain amount such that it's not no longer palatable, right? So I'd say the way to think about hiring your first go-to-market individual is when you have product market fit, when you have that growth loop such that you can successfully do product that growth, when things are healthy, that's the time to start building up your go-to-market function. And as I think, as Kaylin advises, the first hire can either be a sales leader or two AEs. And the, the reason it's two AEs is so that there's, there's some sort of um, comparison whether, as to whether they're, which one is successful, right? Otherwise, if one person is not necessarily successful, it's hard to deduplicate whether it's the product's fault or whether it's the individual's fault. Okay, awesome. And uh, where can people find out more about what you're up to at Heads Up? Ah, well, number one, they can go to our website, headsup.ai. Yeah, and so I think our value prop there is super clear. The opportunity we see actually, and what we're specifically targeting is if you're at speed or series A, and to your previous question, you, you just hired your first go-to-market leader, right? Oftentimes, that go-to-market leader uh, might not have visibility into product users' data. We want to be the tool that he or she thinks about first. Now, we want to be a tool that's very plug-and-play because at the seed A or B stages, there's no mindshare and there's also no money to spend 6, 12 months implementing a traditional customer success tool, right? And also spend, for example, between 50 to 100K. So we want to be 10x cheaper and 100x faster to implement. And that is our 10x value prop that we bring to market. Okay. And is it just like customer success folks you're targeting right now for the product? So we, we want to focus predominantly on customer success because that's where product usage information can extract okay. the most value. But our product can also configure and create product-led 
like PQLs, right? And that's much more of a marketing and sales use case. And we're also exploring marketing use cases as well. We believe that the big opportunity in the long term is actually on the marketing side because scaled marketing across free, paid, and enterprise cohorts in a very bespoke and configured way, leveraging product usage data is still mm-hmm. a big opportunity that hasn't been successfully tapped by incumbent marketing tooling. Yeah, no, 100% agree from you. I mean, my whole background, how I fell into the world of product was from that marketing lens. And yeah, if there was like tooling to really understand better, like what was going on in the products, you could make such better decisions um, at the end of the day. And sometimes that window from someone hearing about your products all the way to sign up is like, it can take so long. But if you could have some of those leading indicators, like a product qualified leader or something like that for a marketing team, you could much more aggressively pursue the campaigns and double down on the winners before just kind of reviewing the pipeline reports and sales reports after a while and seeing like, okay, what is the the chance of this actually like paying itself back many times over? So 100% agree on that. And now, is there any other like questions or feedback that you wanted to, to leave the audience with? Well, one question I'd like to hear from the audience is, especially from go-to-market leaders in product-led growth companies is, yeah. to what extent have they solved their product usage data needs and how have they done it? I'd be interested in that configuration because what we've heard uh, from sampling these individuals or 400 plus individuals is that uh, everyone sort of piecewises it with the mix of engineering plus high pass or integration tools or reverse ETL tools and some application layer tools like obviously Salesforce, Gainsight, and Marketo. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of strung together in very different ways on a per company basis. So I'd be interested in how that varies from company to company and from stage to stage. Awesome. Yeah. And for everyone else who's listening too, uh, one of the things that we hear a lot of in the product-led community is just around tools. And so if you want to get some like unbiased feedback on like maybe what your tool stack is or what it should be, or just get feedback on, you know, how some tools are performing, make sure you head over to the product-led growth Slack community. It's 100% free. You can check it out. It's productled.com forward slash Slack. And then hope to see you in the tools channel uh, for a fun conversation on tooling. So thank you so much, Momo, for coming on. This has been a blast. And thank you for sharing your insights on those 400 uh, interviews you did for the go-to-market professionals on PLG companies. This has been fascinating. Thanks so much, Wes. It's been a pleasure. Awesome.